everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Marion and Wanda. I'm Allie. And I'm Andy. We're here, here with our book episode. <laughs> I know, a big day. Yep. How has it been down on the island? It's been okay. It's been pretty rainy. But on, I guess not on the island, my friend Cassie and I went to a bar downtown on Friday that was having a Barbie movie release party. Ooh. And a Barbie and a Ken lookalike contest. And that was a <laughs> lot of fun for me. Did I, you dress up? Okay. So do you remember, of course you do, when we went on the Girl Scout cruise? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, do you remember that I bought a dress while we were on the cruise ship? I vaguely remember. I don't remember what it looks like, but I vaguely remember you buying one on the ship. Yeah, it was a dress that my mom said I would never wear. And I was like, Mom, no, I definitely will. And then I worn it like maybe <laughs> one. But I thought I'd gotten rid of it, but it would have been perfect for the party because it had um, like black and white horizontal, it's strapless, but black and white horizontal stripes on like the um, waist up. And then the bottom half of it is just hot pink. Satin. <laughs> Um, so no, I didn't dress up. I just wore a normal outfit, but my friend Cassie did and she looked great, but she didn't win. So it is what it is. (laughs) Have you seen the movie? No, I have to wait until I get back from New York to go with my friends. Gotcha. Um, unless they go without me, but yeah, I have not seen it either, but it does look good. It's supposed to be everyone who I've spoken to says it's incredible. Like all my friends and everybody else. Well, maybe we'll add it to the, our list and review it. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah, that's not news. I have um, my other book club tomorrow, and then I leave the day after that. And I have packed nothing, and I need to bake something tonight. But my oven isn't currently working, so it, we're all over the place down here. Hmm. <laughs> How's it going in Tennessee? Well, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is I have a sinus infection. The good news is I got tickets to the chicks on Thursday. You did? Yeah, I got them. Yay! Oh, I'm so jealous. So I looked up to see, I haven't seen anything about like an opening act for them, but I looked it up and they do have an opening act. So I listened to them for a little while today while I was working. Not great, but not bad. Okay. Who is it? (laughs) We'll see. Maybe they'll be better live. Okay. <laughs> I forget what they're called. It's like Wild Wild River, maybe, or Wild Rivers. Something like that. Never heard of them before. But yeah, yeah so that'll be Thursday. That'll be exciting. And I got tickets in the suite. Oh, those are going to be real nice. <laughs> I hope. It's kind of hard to tell from what I can see on our like um, work page portal. It kind of looks like the suite might be slightly blocked by the stage, but it's hard to say. I can't imagine that my work would have a bad suite. Probably not, right? Yeah, so I don't know. But yeah, that's on Thursday, so that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, that will be. As long as I can get over my sinus infection. Yeah, you better. You can't miss this. Important concert. I I would go even if I was not doing great. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know when... Like, if I even remember one of their tours. They had one tour while we were in college, and I tried to get tickets to the Atlanta show, and they were just Mm. really expensive or sold out or something, because it was, like, their first tour in, I don't know, 15 years, maybe more. 
so everybody wanted to go and yeah they were all gone but before that i don't even know when the last time they toured was yeah well anyway but (laughs) i'll also be seeing beyonce so i can't really be that mad yeah so i picked our book for this month and it is (laughs) (laughs) i gotta figure that's about it (laughs) we'll just dive in (laughs) no it's just it's still funny to me that we both thought that we had picked this book (laughs) i was just wrong oh yeah no i picked the book (laughs) it's the ensemble by asia gable which first of all i love her name is spelled A-J-A, but pronounced like Asia, and I love that spelling. Yeah. Yeah, very pretty. So Asia Gable, just a little bit of background on her. She studied writing at Wesleyan University and University of Virginia, and she has a PhD in literature and creative writing from the University of Houston. She also has been the recipient of Awards from Inprint, Virginia City for the Creative Arts and Swanee Writers Conference, and the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown. And that's all according to her website. So this is her first novel. She has also had some projects in the film industry. Mm-hmm. And she, ha- she wrote a short story called Little Fish that was adapted into a film. And she was one of the um, screenwriters for it. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so she helped produce it and all that. And it's, I think it was made into either a TV show or it was on TV. I'm not sure which of the two. But it was like totally different vibe than the ensemble. It was like a sci-fi theme. um, And it was related to the pandemic. Yeah. I I didn't watch it, but it just sounded like totally different from the ensemble that it piqued my interest. Yeah, it looks interesting. Maybe I'll watch it. It looks like it's a movie. Yeah. Um, So that was from Entertainment Weekly. And she's produced... So she produced Little Fish in 2020. And then she also produced The Staircase in 2022. And I'm not not sure if she wrote The Staircase or if she just produced it. Um, But I think that one, it said there was like eight episodes. So it's like a miniseries. Isn't that... That's the, the true crime documentary. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, true true crime documentary. Oh, really? You remember the one where um, the, the crime novelist Michael Peterson was accused of murdering his wife because she, like, fell down this flight of stairs and there was this big question of whether or not she fell or was pushed and if there was an owl that was in the house and the blood splatter evidence. You know the story? No, but that sounds a lot like all good people here. <laughs> But this is an actual crime, so. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, no, that doesn't sound familiar. A true crime documentary. Michael Peterson is a, is an author, and it, it happened in North Carolina. It's like a, it's a very famous case. Oh. They did it on, like, My Favorite Murder and all the other podcasts. Hmm. Well, maybe I'll look that one up. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And then for her upbringing, she, uh, she started playing violin, but then she swapped to the cello. Which makes sense as to how she got into this, like, niche area of writing. I don't know that I've read any other books that are so focused on, like, string instruments. Um, But that makes sense that she she grew up playing the cello. She said she played competitively all the way through high school. um, But over time, so I was listening to this interview um, that she did on this podcast. 
so she played all the way through high school, but over time she realized that she wasn't good enough because she said that you'd like just stop winning contests and then realize that you like just aren't good enough to keep doing this. <laughs> that reminds me of, um, do you remember Pitch Perfect? How mm-hmm. um, the main girl, the blonde girl, what's her name? Audrey or mm-hmm. Aubrey? Her dad always says something like, if you don't succeed, pack your bags. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, eventually, yeah, you have to, but... Yeah, that's kind of a harsh reality, though. Yeah, but, I mean, at some point in time, you have to, like, you know, like, it's at each level of the, like, pyramid of professionalism with these things, you get, like, to a smaller and smaller number of people who can do it, so... That's not for everybody. I guess she probably had the, the same kind of mindset of, like, I don't know what the equivalent of the Olympics is in string instruments or chamber music or or that mm-hmm. world but it's probably that kind of thing where you you realize like okay i'm not really cut out to go to the violin or whatever that is so yeah <laughs> probably the end of the road for me yeah and she the way she talked about it she said that um like one of the characters in the novel she had a lot more heart for it than like talent and so she like wanted to go farther but at some point you just have to quit but she got into creative writing instead because she went to undergrad and in her freshman year, somebody was like, have you ever heard of a master of fine arts? So she, uh, yeah, she went to university and got her MFA as we talked about. Um, but one of her professors in I think grad school said that like the best advice that they could have is to have a second art form when you try to do stuff like this. So that if you run into issues with one, so like if you have some writer's block, you can go to a second type of art and just kind of work it out over there. Yeah, I- another creative outlet. Yeah, which I really like. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. We read The Ensemble, um, which as you said was her debut novel. Uh, did you read that the original title was Unlikely Marriages? No, but I kind of like, I kind of like that. Yeah, she said she liked it too, but her agent told her she had to change it because it's not really about marriage. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I guess. (laughs) And she, the way she originally was planning to write the story was to have um, these four people and like their story come out over the time of one weekend. So like over the time of the Esther Hazy competition. And then um, later realized that she just wanted to uh, show the way these people um, were like living their lives both together and slightly separately and how those kind of relationships evolve over time. Yeah. Um, and so she just chose to set it in the world that she knows, which is chamber music. One of the podcasts I listened to, the guy was not, did not have like a chamber music background. And he uh, said that to him, like you didn't really have to have all that much context to read this story and that like he got sucked into it anyway. And so I'm interested to hear what you think about that, because to me, some parts of this, I just kind of like glazed over because she was mentioning composers and pieces that I didn't really have like any sort of, yeah, like context or any understanding of. And so to me, I feel like I could have benefited from knowing a little bit more about the chamber music world. Yeah, I think so too. Like there's a couple names in there that I recognize, like Tchaikovsky and whatever from um, like a music theory class that I took in college, mm-hmm. but I don't really have any background either on chamber music or or really any kind of classical music. But I don't really feel like it was super necessary to to 
like understand the the scene that was going on like mm-hmm. I know she would say something about like you know these quarter notes or these you know crescendo or forte and like all these different musical terms but I didn't feel like you had to know the piece to really understand the the emotion of whatever that scene was yeah I guess I to me I might have just gotten sucked in a little bit better if I had known more about it I guess yeah yeah I did like that Asia Gable has a playlist of on Spotify of all of the music that's mentioned and I did listen to it a little bit not the whole thing um, but it's probably just because I'm not a huge classical music fan. <laughs> <laughs> but I did appreciate that she put them all on a playlist together. Yeah, I listened to a good amount of it too. But I also, I appreciate classical music more, I guess, in person than I did listening to it in my headphones. But yeah, I, I think it. I would appreciate it more like in... Uh, At the Symphony Hall? The, Cargan- the Carnegie Hall. <laughs> uh, no, not the Carnegie. You gotta go to the Skimmerhorn Symphony Center. Okay, whatever. Just a Symphony Center in general. Being there in person, I feel like I would have a much better appreciation for it. Yeah, you should go sometime. Yeah. I, in college, I had a couple friends who, we were super into it. And we got the Chancellor of Vanderbilt to give us free tickets to the Symphony. Um <laughs> So we so we went and like we did it a few more times and like I always really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think we went there at least in um, elementary or middle school. Oh yeah, for a couple field trips we definitely did. Yeah, but I mean, like who who remembers that? I remember the name and that's why I remember going. But that's oh, okay. <laughs> anyway. Well, I was just gonna say. So the story follows these four musicians that are part of a quartet. Um, and it sort of starts with their professional debut and then carries all the way to the breaking up of the quartet. Um, and the characters are Britt, Jana, Henry, and Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my mind, I I know so many Germans who spell their name, spell the name Jana, J-A-N-A. And huh. as I was reading this book, I had to like keep correcting myself to keep saying Jana and not Yana. I was like, she's not German. Quit this. Well, the whole time I was calling her Jana. <laughs> oh my God. In my head. <laughs> Jana. It's like, it's supposed to sound like Janet. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember, I think it was, I guess, Jana's mom mentioning something like that. Yeah. Or that somehow put in there, but I still in my head the whole time. <laughs> so funny i also was pronouncing it easter hazy instead of esther hazy oh that's funny i mean i know that was probably supposed to be esther hazy but it just looked like easter too much to not call it that i get in and i'm too involved in the chemical world to not see esther hazy (laughs) (laughs) yeah i yeah and so that's like their debut that they really mess up and then we just follow their time throughout the rest yeah Um, i did think it was kind of ironic and funny that um Jana had her intimate night with Fedorio and then threatened him like we better win or else I'll expose you yeah. and messed it up for themselves so they couldn't win anyway <laughs> it's like sorry if you had done better then sure but yeah if I give you the the gold or what the medal or whatever you win the trophy it's gonna yeah. obviously be known that this is rigged because <laughs> yeah. you sucked what a move on her part, honestly. Yeah. 
Um, so were there any of the four characters that you felt like you related to more than another or one whose story you liked more than another? I thought the one that had the most interesting perspective to me was Henry, who had the arm, right? The arm issues? Yeah. That was Henry. Okay. Um, so I, it was very interesting to me to hear about like a professional musician who has sort of a physical ailment that's stopping them from playing because I guess I've, I I don't really know when professional musicians retire, but, um, like the way that they were describing the pain and how sometimes it would be in like small waves and sometimes it would be so painful that he had to stop. Like to me, that was an interesting perspective, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't, yeah, I didn't love any of the characters. And I think that that's another reason why it took me so long to actually get into the book was that I just didn't care too much about any of them. Yeah. So I was curious and just now Googled the famous cellist Yo-Yo Ma. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he is 67 years old and still plays. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, yeah, Henry had that crippling arm injury but like how can some people or musicians like Yo-Yo Ma still play and like Yo-Yo Ma is supposedly one of the best that's yeah. ever been like how can somebody like him still be playing you know I assume a lot at 67 years old and Henry in this book gets to like maybe 30 years old and is like basically on the verge of retirement yeah well some of us have worse joints than other that's others true. <laughs> is what I'll say with my crackling knees. Yeah. <laughs> I think I probably liked Jana's story the best only because I thought her family connection was the most interesting that she has this mom who's like half in half out and yeah. always has a new man in her life and doesn't really appreciate what Jana does for a living. Mm-hmm. Never comes by, never really keeps in contact, but then again she'll show up out of nowhere. Yeah. I thought that was the most interesting, at least like personal life was Jana's. Mm-hmm. Um and the in the end Jana is afraid she's becoming too much like her mom while she's trying to raise her adopted daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Jana's story was the most interesting of the four, but also I also didn't really connect with any of them personally. Yeah, cuz Jana like a good part of her story at the end was that she like kind of regretted adopting her daughter right yeah but was and that so- just because she didn't feel like she could give her the attention that she deserved while also pursuing her violinist career or she felt like she was being held back in her violinist career because of the daughter yeah like I think maybe a little bit more of the latter um, yeah to me and that she like didn't really it didn't feel like she had such a great connection that everybody always talks about I've heard that that's hard with adopted children, though, that it takes so much longer to form that parent-child bond because mm. it's not there from birth. Or most yeah, of the, I guess, the adopted yeah. child is not there right at birth. Yeah, I guess it depends, but um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's, an, uh, again, another perspective that I guess I never really considered is, like, a, a parent to, like, wanted to become a parent enough to go through the adoption process but then ends up kind of regretting it and Jana never really has a solid partner like she has Rebecca her um nanny 
but I'm sure that's probably not quite the same as having a spouse or a long-time partner to help with the raising of the child. Yeah, I wouldn't, yeah. Like, I know that au pairs, I think, like, the, well, I guess she might not, well, I guess she's, like, essentially an au pair, right? Like, she yeah, I think lives so. in, and works and takes care of the kids. Like, I know that, uh, like, I've recently met one who's, like, very invested in, like, her kids' lives and, like, definitely has an emotional bond with them. And so it's, but she's, again, like, not actually um, the partner to one of the parents, you know? So it's yeah, a, still a little bit different because she could walk away at any point in time. Or she might if, like, her musical career comes off, takes off or something, you know? Yeah. Jody was an au pair. Oh, I did not know that. Yep. She was up in Boston for several years with um, a husband and wife and their three kids. And she, like, she lived in the house with them and, like, totally took care of everything kid-related. Did she like it? Yeah, I think so. She still keeps in contact with the family. But the oh, kids wow. are grown up now. Well, I, I would hope so, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah so... I, thought that the, I thought Jana's story was the most interesting, at least, like, outside of um, her career. Yeah. Yeah. And we definitely see a lot of different, again, like, parent-child and just family dynamics in general because... None of them really have the same, even, like, number of parents, right? Like, Britt has yeah. been, she was orphaned for, since, like, forever. Yeah, I think, like, early 20s, or, like, still an adult, but not really, like, knowing how to live your life yet. Yeah, like, Jana's got an absentee mom. Um, Henry's parents uh, are rich, right? And then Daniel's aren't, but his mom is dying of cancer. Like, all of them very different perspectives Yeah, to see. Yeah, Henry, and they say that several times, is that Henry's the only one with a, quote, real family. But yeah. also, when they get to their, like, farther into their adult life and more established, he's the only one who even creates his own real family outside of the quartet, where he gets married and has several kids, where none of the other of them have any kids well i guess okay so jana Jana. except for jana (laughs) i mean yeah she has an adopted daughter but she's not married and then at the end Britt and daniel get married but they have no kids yeah so yeah what did you think about Britt and daniel ending up together i i was gonna ask you that if you were Britt and you knew all of the horrible things that daniel had said over the past 10 15 years like i will never be with you You'll never be the one for me, whatever. And then at the end, they get together. Like, if you were Brit, would you allow that to happen? Or would you be like, nope, not for me? <laughs> I mean, like, I think if it's evident that the partner has changed, then yeah, that's fine. But um, without any sort of, like, discussion, at least over the past comments, like, no, I wouldn't, like, wouldn't be able to take them without at least a discussion about what they've said in the past. <laughs> Yeah, I think I would have to hold myself to a higher standard and be like, look, all right, it's been 15 years. He's said repeatedly over those 15 years, it's never going to happen. So, like, is he is um, Daniel just at the point where he's like, well, I don't want to be alone forever, so I guess I'll have to settle for Brit. Because that's kind of what it felt like to me. Um, that's true. But Yeah, I don't know. I think if I was her, I'd be like, nope, sorry, you missed your chance a long time ago. Well, the thing is, though, that, well, I guess she was with Paul at the time, but she, like, didn't really wait around for him, right? She found somebody else, and she was kind of falling out of love and uh, didn't really want to stay with him when she and Daniel, like, kissed or whatever, and then 
So, like, I guess to me, um, what's my point with this? Like, to me, it felt more okay because she hadn't been, like, sitting around and twiddling her thumbs and waiting for him to come back. She had still gone out and found somebody, even if that person didn't end up being a great fit. Yeah, I think it was also kind of pushed on her, though. Like, once Daniel got together with Lindsay and they got married, all like, really quickly or whatever, that, that was kind of a wake-up call. Quit waiting around. He's not coming back for you. You need to move mm-hmm. on. That's when she got with Paul for so long. But yeah, then all that happened at the end with Paul leaving and their kiss and all that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I think if I was Brent in that situation, I think I'd have been like, look, buddy, you had your chance and you've wasted it for 15 years. <laughs> Maybe I'm just too harsh, though. <laughs> no, I don't know. You never yeah. know until you're in the situation. True. Another critique that I had with this story is that while we had these four plus at the end, um, Kimiko gets her own chapter too. But like we have these four different perspectives throughout the entire book. And to me, it felt like we never, I never really got to know any of the characters super well over the course of the book. Mm -hmm. And so I never really felt particularly attached to any of them. Yeah, I kind of felt like, oh, sorry, were you not done with that? No, that was like my thought. Like, yeah, what okay. did you think that they were well-rounded characters? Not particularly. I also felt like the overall tone of the book was that there just wasn't very much emotion in the actual characters. Like, you could tell mm. that Gable was emotional about the music because she had so many descriptive, um, descriptive phrases and words about the pieces that they would be playing. Mm-hmm. As far as like the emotion of the characters, it was pretty flat the whole time. Yeah, and so I didn't really feel like there was much variation or like emotional cliffs in the story, except for when Kimiko. Is that how you were saying her name, Kimiko? Kimiko, yeah. Okay, so except for when Kimiko tells Henry in the park that she's pregnant, that was kind of the only time I could feel like suspense or like you know not sure what's going to come next or how Henry's going to react other than that to me it all felt very flat and just kind of blase the whole time and yeah I also think part of that was uh, Gable's writing style mm-hmm. there was some times throughout this book I even counted them one sentence was 15 lines long <laughs> that I'm like, okay, girl, you got to cut down on these run-on sentences because it's hard to, I think for me at least, it's hard to put a whole thought together when the sentence is that long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just noticed that there was a lot of times where the sentence structure was so drawn out and that the descriptive of the description of whatever she's talking about is so long that by the end of the sentence, I'm like, wait, what did I just read? I don't know. Mm -hmm. To me, I got lost quite a bit, and I also felt like the story kind of jumped around a lot between, like, yeah, we would start a new chapter in a new year, but then also there would be so many, like, flashback moments throughout each chapter that was in different time periods. Like, Mm -hmm. you would get a flashback of, um, like, Jana's upbringing, or, or just something like that that was, like, a really long flashback that I was like, hold on, I don't even remember what year we're in now and why this really long flashback is relevant. So I don't know. I felt like she, Gable, tried to give us some more insight on each of the characters' pasts, but it didn't really hit the mark for me. Yeah. 
Well, I, I, I agree with you on like the little mini flashbacks that she would put in the chapter, but I do disagree about the writing style. I really enjoyed her prose and just her descriptions for everything. I was along for the ride on that one. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's a difference that you and I have. I, I don't mind like a lot of description about things, but look how long this sentence is there's like <laughs> there's like 35 commas in this sentence <laughs> worth it like, sometimes so many you clauses, need it <laughs> so many clauses strung together i'm like what are we even talking about here <laughs> yeah well, she did those say... i had to go back and read again <laughs> yeah she said she was trying to mimic some of the pieces of music uh with her writing style so like i'm sure that that was if we knew more about the music that we were supposed to um, be picturing in our minds, then that might've, we might've been able to appreciate it more perhaps. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. I do. It was a very niche audience that like, I, I feel like musicians probably would feel more connected to this book just for being musicians that they would probably see past some of those things like yeah. having 35 commas in a sentence and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, feel more connected to it overall. But I also didn't really feel like it was super necessary to have a background in classical music. Like, I still understood everything in the book, even though I didn't know some of those musical terms and I didn't know a lot of those composers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but overall, I think it was written for a pretty niche audience. Yeah. To be appreciated to the extent, I would say. Yeah, to be fully appreciated. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, I just want to talk about Kimiko again. Uh, just real quick because she did she's the only one outside of the quartet that had her own chapter yeah and I kind of appreciated her point of view I found her to be a very interesting character even though she had a limited role in the book Um, yeah I think so too I thought it was interesting that she got her own chapter where we have some other characters like I mean Brit is with Paul for 10 years but we never got a glimpse into his perspective I mean, mm-hmm. essentially, had been around about the same amount of time. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we never got a perspective from Paul or like Jana's mom or some of the other characters that we've met. You know, it could have had one from um, Daniel's mother's perspective since she was very like religious and stuff like that. But yeah, for whatever reason, Kimiko is the only one who got her own chapter. I liked her chapter a lot. Yeah, me too. I did feel sorry for her, though, because I do think a lot of times once women become mothers, it can be hard for them to still have an identity outside of being a mom. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like a lot of what Kimiko was dealing with was that she's like, OK, now I'm two kids deep and I you know, don't really get to spend much time in my um, profession. Was she, was she a violinist, too, or viola? Yes, she was a violinist. Okay. So she still had dreams of like wanting to pursue a music career, but she probably kind of felt like she didn't really have a choice but to take care of the kids because Henry already had a music gig with the yeah. NS quartet. So I felt kind of sorry for her, but I'm glad at the end that Henry was supportive and was like, no, I'm just going to like teach some lessons and help watch the kids a little more while Kimiko has her time to shine. Yeah, and I think that that was like a very healthy way to deal with it. Like he got, and like he got his time to devote to his musical career. And when he came to the end of it, he didn't try to extend it too long. He was just like, "Guys, I'm sorry. Like, 
this is it. It's her time now. She's given me, you know, these six years or 10 years or whatever. Now it's my turn to be there for her. So, like, I think that was really great. Yeah, but I also kind of feel like if his injury to his arm had not existed, nothing would have changed. Like, he would still be in the Van Ness Quartet and Kimiko would still be watching the kids. So it's almost kind of like, yeah, Henry gave Kimiko her chance to shine, but only because he's not able to anymore. Well, I guess we'll never know for sure what he would have done otherwise, but you're right. I think he wasn't necessarily going to (laughs) give it up without a secondary impetus, but he did nevertheless. So I liked her a lot. So I I wish we had almost gotten more from her. Yeah. I I think Kimiko's chapter might've been the one that I liked the most. Yeah. I would read a book maybe in a different setting from this author. So, uh, well, yeah, I guess. Thing that she has some sci-fi out there because this was definitely not sci-fi at all. Yeah, so maybe I'll just read the short story that she's written and then we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah, I wonder too, like how common it is for authors to write in different, you call it like a genre like that. Yeah, because sometimes it seems like people have their genre and that's what they stick with when they write. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Definitely. It seems like, we, well, except it seems like a lot of the authors we've read recently have also been short story authors. Yeah, that's true. Well, should we give it a rating? Yeah. How many, uh, how many, uh, Esther Hazy competitions do you give this? <laughs> how many Fedorios? <laughs> uh, how many Fedorios got Fedorio? <laughs> I didn't like he felt like kind of sleazy he felt yeah. a little sleazy to me I imagined him being like really greasy like having a really oily face yeah. <laughs> like, like kind of a bad haircut but like black straight hair that's greasy yeah and kind of short and fat that's kind of <laughs> what's what's that guy's what's that actor's name who's in um hang on let me look him up because this is exactly who I was picturing. Oh God, I really hope it's not somebody I like. <laughs> Hang on, let me. Danny DeVito. <laughs> oh, Danny DeVito. Okay, That's he would kill that role. <laughs> <laughs> he would be great in that role. That's who exactly who I was imagining. Like big, thick glasses, sweaty, oily skin, short, overweight, <laughs> a little bit yeah. old because he he was like twenty years older than Jana. Yeah, which felt again a little sleazy, but yeah, <laughs> that's who I was imagining the whole time when it was talking about him. But anyway, um, so I was not really that into this book. It was actually hard for me to finish it just because I was not enjoying it. But to each their own. People who are musicians probably would, like we said, be more connected to it overall and enjoy it more. But I don't know. I think out of five Fedorios, I'm going to give this one a two. Okay. Yeah. Not my favorite, but like not horrible. Um, But honestly, probably would not recommend this one to somebody unless they were a violinist or (laughs) had a history of chamber music. Yeah. Uh, I I would still bump it up a little bit more, maybe like a a 2.7 because I did like her writing style and I did come around a little bit more when I realized it was more about their relationships. Um, Yeah. But yeah, not, not the greatest book that I've ever read. 
Yeah, it just, I don't know. To me, it didn't have very much variation in the emotion aspect of it. And I think that a lot of times is what makes me like stories more. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's my overall vote, I guess. (laughs) Anyway. Um, So, our next short story and our last in the series is going to be the titular story, The Lonesome Bodybuilder by Yukika Matoya. And uh, the new book that I have chosen is called Arsenic and Adobo by Mia Menansala. We'll have to look at that. And that has been on my list for a while, but it's a little bit longer than my book club is allowed to have. So I haven't picked it, but I'm very excited to give it a read now. Should be a good murder mystery type. Yeah, I'm excited for that. So we haven't done any kind of like thriller or mystery crime in a while yeah since all good people are here right well verity was kind of along the lines oh yeah that i mean that was kind of more romantic too though yeah well we'll see what this one's about yeah i'm excited for that one thanks for joining us on this episode of marianne and wanda we would love to hear your feedback and if you have any books or topics for us to review you can reach us at Marianne and Wanda Podcast on Instagram or send us an email at Marianne and Wanda Podcast at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.